meditation, 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 depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. Can't think of anything. This is meditation in the city. The Shambhala New York podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is For the Benefit of All Beings, Be Kind to Yourself. We are living in very difficult times. We are bombarded with the genuinely serious problems of war, the health of our planet, the health of ourselves and others due to viruses, and challenges to our mental equanimity due to the enormity of these issues. What do we have control over? The answers to that question are key to our personal thriving and our ability to help others. We can start with the power we have to treat ourselves kindly. That decision can start a ripple of positivity. Today we are joined by Gail Van Gills, Gail is the award-winning author of Happier at Work, The Power of Love to Transform the Workplace. Gail has an MBA from the Anderson School at UCLA and is a certified instructor of Search Inside Yourself, the mindfulness and emotional intelligence training developed and proven at Google. She is the founder of the consulting, training, and coaching company Transform Your Culture and is a senior meditation teacher in the Shambhala Buddhist lineage. Through her teachings both in person and through online courses, Gail has helped thousands of people find more peace, energy, inspiration, joy, and success in their lives and businesses. Here's Gail to take away the discussion. So tonight we're going to talk about being kind to ourselves and I titled this for the benefit of all beings, be kind to yourself, because I know that when I'm being hard on myself, I end up kind of projecting some of that harshness out to the world. It's like there's kind of a mirror quality going on. So I think that um, one of the you know misconceptions that people have about spending time working on self-compassion and being kinder to ourselves is that it's a selfish activity, but it really isn't. It's something that benefits everyone. And so this is particularly important because we are living in very difficult times. My mind, and I'm sure your mind, is stressed out because of the problems of war. (laughs) I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, it's seriously, we're in a time of war, which I didn't imagine that this kind of situation, the way it's occurring on our planet would happen again in my lifetime. You know, I, I really didn't. So I feel kind of shocked at my naivete, but here we are. And then there's the health of our planet, which is really serious, which we're not attending to. And then there's the pandemic that we're on the tail end of, hopefully it's the tail end. And then all of this is challenging our mental equanimity because each one of these issues is so enormous. So I think it's important to ask a question. 
what do we have control over? I mean, what can we work on to help ourselves and to be a benefit to others in times like these? So one of the things we can do is start with this power that we have to treat ourselves kindly. And then that decision can create a ripple of positivity. Because if we start talking negatively to ourselves about our inability to do anything, which sometimes I feel discouraged in that way, but it seems like what can one person do, then we end up withdrawing or, or getting depressed or any number of things that won't help anyone and won't help the planet, won't help solve any of our problems. So that's why I think this is an important topic, not just for our how we feel, but also for affecting others. So what is self-compassion? I'm sure that you've heard many talks and read many um, articles about this topic, but just to summarize self-compassion, it's the practice of recognizing that you're a human being, <laughs> that you're imperfect, that you're struggling with something and you want to help yourself struggle less. Okay, so you you recognize this common humanity that you are struggling with a problem and you want to help yourself. You want to be good to yourself. So it's the practice of treating yourself as you would treat a good friend. And the goal of practicing self-compassion is to reduce your own struggle and suffering. So you have more emotional and mental energy to move forward with. Does this make sense? Why we do this? <laughs> okay, just checking. Um, so practicing self-compassion increases your motivation to work harder and improve because you're not wasting your valuable emotional energy beating yourself up. So now you have the energy to use to figure out your next best step. So self-compassion is actually just a beginning. It's this recognition of your true humanity and the desire to help yourself struggle less so you can get through whatever challenges are facing you with greater resilience and bring your best self forward. So one of my favorite ways to practice self-compassion is to shift from harsh self-talk to kinder self-talk. So many of us cause ourselves suffering through harsh, unkind, self-berating self-talk. Anyone else out there do this? <laughs> okay. So the first step is to become aware when you're being harsh in your self-talk. Like catch yourself. That's what mindfulness is about. That's what our practice is about, is to be able to help us in the moment when something's happening to become aware. So in this first step, you're mindful of the words and tone that you're using when you talk to yourself. So you practice witnessing your self-talk as it happens. What is the tone like, right? What tone of voice are you using with yourself? What words or phrases do you use when you talk to yourself? You know, something just popped into my head about this, this tone thing, and I just realized something. So years ago, years and years and years ago, when I was first new at meditation, um, Trungpa Rinpoche used to always 
say to his female st students, often called them sweet or sweetheart. And I remember how, uh, what is the word? I forget the word, but how that didn't actually fit with my own version of myself. And now I'm realizing it's that I was never sweet when I talked to myself. So when I, to think that someone else at that point was calling me sweet, I couldn't put it together. But now I'm realizing that that's because my tone to myself was harsh. And I thought it was odd that someone experiencing me in the external world didn't hear that. But they didn't, because that's not the way I talked to other people. It was the way I was talking internally. I just had an aha. So maybe maybe um, when we have a discussion, you can see if, if that's happened to you too. But anyway, that, that was something that really happened to me was I felt a disconnect because I, I was reflecting on the way I talked to myself and I thought it was, and it must've been very harsh. Okay, second step. Pause and be grateful that you noticed. Take a breath and pause for a second. And in this pause, you can connect to your inner witness. So feel the depth of your capacity to be aware of your thoughts and emotions without the need to immediately react and be grateful that you can do this. So you noticed and now you can pause and notice in a deeper way. That's the second step. And the third step is imagine you're talking to someone you really love and care about. So this is the transitional step. So first you notice that you were talking harshly to yourself, you go deeper with it, and then you imagine, could I turn this around? What if I were speaking to someone I really loved and cared about? And so this is a step that I thought we could actually practice together right now. So we did a short practice, a silent practice in the beginning, but this is gonna be almost like a contemplative, um, practice that we can experience as I talk you through it. Are you, are you up for doing that? Yes? Okay. All right, so settle your body, settle into your body and let's take a few slow breaths again. Now think of a person you deeply care about and visualize this person. If you want, you can close your eyes for this process, if this, that would help you, because this is a visualization process, but you don't have to. So this person is coming to you for support because they're struggling with something. What would your natural response be as you imagine that you're talking to this friend or family member, someone you love, someone you care about. What is your tone of voice? Do you give your friend a hug? Do you soften?
See if you can get in touch with what it feels like to be you when you're with a close friend who is struggling. Now think about ways that you have been struggling. Mistakes, regrets, the war, the economy, fear about the environment, whatever it is that you are struggling with, bring that to mind. And when you talk to yourself about this struggle, what's your tone of voice now? Is it harsh or is it warm? How do you sound to yourself? What is your body posture like with yourself? Do you tense up? What do you feel like as you talk to yourself about this situation? I invite you to see if you can hear and feel any difference in the patterns of how you comfort a friend versus how you talk to yourself. What differences do you sense in your tone of voice, in maybe over-catastrophizing what you're going through, thinking something is permanent when it's your situation versus assuring your friend it will pass. What are the differences in how you treat your friend and yourself when you struggle? Now let's take a few deep breaths and bring ourselves back. So um, as we have just expressed, most people are much kinder to the people they love than to themselves. So, you know, what would be the impact on the other person if we talk to them the way that we talk to ourselves, right? Not too good. We would shut them down. And in fact, that's why this awareness is necessary. Because although most people are kinder to other people, maybe not, you know, maybe not everybody is. Maybe some people talk to other people the way they talk to themselves. So that's something to watch out for, too. Are you just projecting out to others what you're feeling inside? So 
whether it is that we need to be kinder both to ourselves and other people or more likely to ourselves more so than to other people, even if it's just out of politeness, um, maybe we can use what we just saw in this example as a template for how we can treat ourselves with more space, with more patience, with more curiosity, with you know just a gentler, open-ended approach that we don't have to have all the answers, but just showing the care. So that's really the key is to the understanding of yourself that whatever you're going through, getting back to, you know, sort of this first thing that we talked about, the, the, the um, three elements of compassion, it's composed of mindfulness. So being aware of what you're thinking and feeling, being kind to yourself and considering your own needs, but most of all, recognizing that you have in common this um, suffering that you're going through with all of humanity. So you basically have to, to take that bigger view of yourself and then that opens up the space, right? Seeing that I'm part of humanity, that's why I'm feeling this way. This is how could I expect not to feel like this? So if you are struggling with something, you sort of deserve to try out this template on yourself. And also it helps us step out of our stories. So we all have stories that we're telling ourselves, mental stories that that are like reactive, that kind of come in when we have the problem or the struggle. We have a story about that that we tell ourselves. And we have to become aware of what our stories are so we can step outside of them and respond more directly with kindness and wisdom to our own situation and not just see it through the story like, there you go again, you're doing that thing, right? It's not the same thing. It's a new situation. Every moment, it's a new situation. I think that's really important, actually, is to see things fresh every time they come up. So the another thing about the self-compassion is, let's say that we haven't been as kind to others as we'd like to. Practicing this self-concern allows us to realize, oh, other people are like me too. They're having these hard struggles. That's maybe why they're acting like an idiot. <laughs> this is our common humanity. And you can broaden your kindness and concern to include people that you actually found to be difficult. Because you thought you were difficult and you started working on yourself. So you can go, from the inside out as well as from the outside in in terms of the template of how you treat others. So once you start practicing listening to how you talk to yourself, sending yourself good wishes, which is another form of self-compassion, basically softening to yourself, then you can start to see other people are suffering too. And so you can turn that care outwards and practice sending wishes of kindness and friendliness to those difficult people in our lives and maybe even including the ones that we feel really a lot of hostility 
towards or are afraid of. So that instead of hardening our positions and our stories, we open up that space and curiosity outwards. And that's part of why being kind to yourself is also a gift to others. And others become less the other, the unreal person that you can't imagine, and more another human being who is suffering and acting out their suffering on the world. So in that sense, self-compassion becomes a path to an increased ability to respond to stress and difficulties in a flexible way, a way that allows us to soothe ourselves and handle what life presents. So it goes, it really starts to grow, this, this inner kindness and openness and curiosity and space becomes a flexibility and an outward way and a way to relate to other people in situations that we were shutting down to. So I'd like to know what you think about that, about this sense that, you know, self-compassion actually can grow into broader compassion. Um, well, it, it's interesting because um, this is something I, I was just actually talking about in therapy this week um, about uh, how much comparison can enter into this. Um, you know, I like have a friend who I maybe see once a month or something. And, you know, part of me is like, that's not enough. And like, I, I want closer friendship with, you know, all of my friends and family and everything. And, um, you know, it's, it can, in certain times when I'm really struggling and, and, you know, dealing with loneliness or whatever, it can be really difficult to, to put myself in kind of their shoes. But I think you're, you know, absolutely right in that, you know, well, for one thing, I just turned 30. And I think I used to have a lot easier time of looking at myself as, you know, a 20 year old kind of, you know, kid or whatever. And so of course, I don't know. And of course, you know, like, I, I don't have the worldview. And so I kind of can assume, oh, I don't know everything. And now as I'm getting a little bit older, there's more of like, a, I want to be right. I want to, you know, know everything. <laughs> but so, you know, kind of recognizing that people have full lives and they're busy and they have more friends than just me and more than family and struggles and jobs and all these things. And if I'm writing them off as a friend because I only see them once a month and they're going out of their way to see me once a month and that's you know hard for them because they're so busy or whatever then you know I'm completely wasting a good thing because I have this judgment I have this assumption of how it should be and so I think you know I, I used to have an easier time of recognizing my assumptions as just kind of almost childish because you know being a younger person and uh, so I, I think it's something that I'm, I'm recognizing I'm struggling with more um, or, or at least I'm, I'm noticing more is kind of this, uh, you know, really like, like you're saying, letting it be a fresh start and, and letting go of the storylines and, and not assuming that just because I feel a certain way that it's true or that I need to act on it. So, yeah. It's very wise. That's very wise. And uh, I think uh, G wants to say something. Go ahead. I, I wanted to say something because I felt like if I didn't, you would call on me. <laughs> so Good. one thing that uh, occurred to me was that um, 
when I when you forced us to think about these things and we did the exercise and I thought about how I react internally when I don't like what I've done and so on and so forth. The thing that comes for me are a couple of things. One is uh, the mindfulness piece that how great it is that we have a tool of <laughs> mindfulness and a path that we're on to to develop more and more mindfulness and mindfulness and awareness of our own habits. It's so hard to see that, but you know, how else would we know? And I think the second thing that comes out of that is a recognition that whatever we do see is you know, something that we like that we don't, something that we see rather that we didn't like, something that we do habitually that we just don't like. At least when we see it, we can say, we're on the path, we're all on the path, we're all on a journey. And I will tell you, you know, because I can look back at Bobby and say, okay, you're 30, I'm much older. So I have a little bit of perspective. And I can say that once you see something, and it becomes part of your awareness, it's never going to be the same. I mean, I, I'm going to say yes, you're going to repeat the mistake many, many times. I, I still do that. And it's going to make you gag because you see the things that you're doing over and over again. Okay, that's that's true. But there's this path, there's this movement. And the very first step is to see it. So once you see it, you know, it's, it's gold, as far as I'm concerned. The, the only other thing I wanted to say was um, about kindness, you know, kindness is such a great word. And I know that that's part of the title of your talk. But I want to be the one that says, look, it's not just about big acts, right? Not just hugging people in, in times of crises. I, I want to talk about kindness. You know, the, the young guy at the grocery store who's bringing me up, you know, little interactions with people. And I don't even know how to say what to do. But I think you all know what I'm talking about. There's things that we can say or not say, or looks that we can give people. Smile, maybe. I don't know. But there's these tiny little things that we do where a, pe where a person just feels your, your kindness. And um, I think that's a great practice. And I think, you know, we, we can all do that and we can all experience that from others. So I just wanted to mention that, make sure that we remember those very, very small things too, not just the big ones. Thank you. Again, really, the wisdom is coming from everybody in, in the checkerboard here on Zoom. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, as we said, we are, you know, kind of hard on ourselves. We tell ourselves stories. We have past stories and situations that we um, ruminate on. And we have to be kind to ourselves about that too, because as G said, awareness is the first step, but that doesn't mean it's gonna go away. But once you're aware of it, it is changed. So if we've been involved in a lot of negative self-talk and we recognize it, it's really different than just having that going on in your head and you don't know that it's going on. And that's why you feel so bad. So once it's sort of seen the light of day, so to speak, there is more ventilation. There is more possibility of things shifting. 
And then we can use this kind of exercise to go further than just noticing it, but really thinking, how might I talk to myself? How would I talk to someone I care about, someone I want to be gentler with, someone I give space to? And then if we don't have that person come to mind, we can just send ourselves love. We can just say, may you just soften and feel less critical of yourself. You know, just the, you know, kind of phrases of kindness that are used in, in, in uh, traditional self-compassion practices. May you be at ease. May you have not so much suffering. So whatever step we need to take just to soften the storyline, that's what we can do once we've had awareness. And so that's the power of practicing sitting meditation, just silent meditation, where you're creating the space for whatever it is that your habits are and your stories and your self-talk to arise. And then you can see that, you can become mindful of it in that space. And then you're more familiar when it comes up in the heat of life. Because at first you can get familiar with it on the cushion. So really everything we've been talking about today is totally made possible and enhanced by silent sitting meditation. And that's, that's is a plug for why it's so important to do that a little bit every day if you can. So are there any more comments or thoughts that um, you'd like to share? Yes. Um, when you were talking about the three elements, I realized there's kind of a fourth one for me, which is uh, taking the body into account and relaxing. Yeah. So space in the mind, at least for me, that's there's some kind of interactivity there that when I'm tight in my body and I'm also tight up here, even though I'm not a lot of space. And often I can increase space by shaking out my tension. So, yes. Thank you for, for reminding us of that. That is so important. And that was one of the things that we were trying to look at in that contemplation, right? Are you tensing up when you talk to yourself? Are you softening more when you're extending yourself in a kind way? Like, what does that feel like? Yeah, softening is is got connotations that are hard. Oh, okay. All right. Well, shaking it out. Okay. Are you softy, shaking it out? <laughs> hard for me to be a softy, but to relax, that's that's more. Okay. Well, that's that's a good synonym for softening, relaxing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the words are not the, the important thing. So you know what you need I to think, do. I think that's kind of if, I, if there's a thing in Shambhala language, but softening, you know. I've heard that for a long time and it never really sank in. But, you know, when I started doing other sort of modalities, of, you know, relaxing, it was like, oh, that's maybe that's what they were talking about. So. I think it is. Although yeah. I think softening has another context. So softening <clears throat> to me has to do with like my heart melting. So like being touched by something. So that's what I feel. It's almost more like softening is more like melting. And Maybe, you know, relaxing actually is like melting too, melting the, the, the tightness, but there is an internal emotional thing that I think might have to go, might go along 
long was softening just to yeah i think that's step two <laughs> step two <laughs> yes <laughs> that's great yeah bobby um one yeah i similar to william like yeah sometimes like certain words like just like from my upbringing can trigger things and i grew up in a very masculine kind of john wayne kind of household and um so one thing that i like along the terms of softness um and my dad is an engineer so i have a lot of like weird engineering terms just bounced around my brain there's uh, something called tensile strength in like metals which is how much you can pull on a metal before it snaps and similar to like malleability so there's this strength that is you know a more brittle metal will just snap but if you can soften if you can be malleable if you have this tensile strength then you can really be pulled and pulled and pulled and not break and not snap and so you know it's a softness but it's really a strength too so that that's if that's helpful for you that's something that I, I sometimes go to instead of soft as, as a concept. Great. <laughs> I'll try to remember that example. My husband is a um, is an engineer, so he might he was grinning at that. But that that is good. I mean, because the word if the words if we don't relate to the words, then it's it's not you know that helpful in our communication. So that was a really helpful example. Thank you. Anyone else? Last thoughts? Now just one more word. Fleet Mall talks about resilience, which I think is also a good word. Yes. Okay, well, thank you very, very much for um, being so interactive and really sharing your hearts and, and your thoughts and your experience with us tonight. It made this a a really good talk despite me. <laughs> I was just a joke since I was going to be mean to myself. <laughs> but um, no, really, I mean, I, I hope we, we got some, some sense of the fact that we are generally hard on ourselves and that there's something that we can do about it, that we can practice, that we can become aware of, that we can um, become more able to handle life through handling how we talk to ourselves and how we treat ourselves. And so that, that's the, the idea for tonight. And I think that it is something that we learn over our lifetimes. So for, um, you know, those of us who are younger, we're, we're working on it and, and it's a work in progress. And for those of us who are older, we're working on it and it's a work in progress. So it's not something that we ever get perfect at because human beings are not perfect. And that's part of our shared humanity is being able to say, okay, I blew it. I beat myself up. Let's start again. I have another moment, I have another day, I have another situation. So please, please be kind to yourselves and um, you know, enjoy your lives. That's my wish for you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends.
Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.